Hello and welcome to the Sounds Right podcast. I'm Laura, the host, and in this episode I spoke to Nora Shabazi and John Walker. Nora is the founder of Ebly, which is a speech-to-print phonics program based in the US, and John is the founder of Sounds Right. The two discuss their strikingly similar backgrounds in the world of phonics, the similarities and differences between their approaches, and of course, speech-to-print. Before we begin, I want to let you know about the Sounds Right Symposium on Speech-to-Print, which is coming up from the 16th to the 19th of May this year. The online conference will show talks from experts in the field of phonics, including Nora and John, and even better news, you can access the event for free. So I'm going to put the link to that in the show notes of this episode. Anyway, let's get on with this episode of the podcast. It was such a privilege to listen to this conversation live and hear Nora and John talk about all things phonics. So I hope you enjoy it as well. Hello, Nora and John. Thank you so much for being here on the podcast today. Hi, Lara. It's great to be here. Yeah, great, great to be here, and especially great to be talking to Nora Chabazi, whom I met at the Plain Talk conference recently. And to tell you the truth, we they had people had to prize us apart because we couldn't stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to run away and just say, "Leave us alone and let us talk." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Excellent. Well, here's your chance. <laughs> <laughs> That's how this came about, actually, was from that. Yeah. They said, we'll let you talk more. Yeah. Nice. So just to introduce you both to our listeners, Nora, could you talk a little bit about your background and Ebly and your work there first? Sure. I am actually a neonatal intensive care nurse by education. I have two degrees in nursing and I came to literacy back in the 1990s because of my own child's struggles with reading. She was gifted and talented in math, very bright child, but a year below grade level in reading in second grade. So that kind of changed the whole trajectory of my life and put me on this path to literacy. Um, And I opened a reading center in 1999. I um, created Ebly in 2003 and trained teachers, classroom teachers, and intervention teachers from all over the world. We're now in 37 uh, states and nine different countries where we have people trained, which is very exciting. And so my mission really at the core is to prevent the suffering like my daughter experienced um, and that's being experienced by millions of kids and adults um, by basically, I always say, putting a fence at the top of the cliff and let's teach kids to read from the beginning as opposed to the ambulance at the bottom and the millions that are falling off the cliff and needing intervention and remediation and there isn't you know there's not enough to go around to help but we have a waiting list at our center which we try to keep hidden it doesn't work very well of 128 people i think it was last count which is pretty crazy so i have devoted my life to literacy and improving literacy and really our our tagline is teaching the world to read and that is my dream and my goal brilliant and nine different countries that's quite the achievement congratulations yeah thank you so actually sounds right has a pretty similar timeline we started in 2003 <laughs> as well funnily enough so john why don't you tell us who you are and what sounds right is as well Yes, I was going to say, I mean, it's a great metaphor, uh, Nora, you know, the ambulance metaphor. And it does seem that we've been running in parallel all these years. 
because... Um, I've known about you. <laughs> right, and I, I've known about you too. <laughs> but, um, certainly, we started off at pretty much the same time. I think I started uh, a, my reading centre in something like 1998, uh, I, I was teaching literature until that time and sociolinguistics at university, all sorts of things uh, in that sort of realm. And then I decided when I was teaching at Warwick University, teaching a course on post-colonial literatures in English on a master's programme, I decided who's going to benefit from the kind of experience I have more. These very, very clever kids at Warwick or kids that can't read so to tell you the truth, I made the switch at that time. Uh, and at the, uh, of course, like you, I started off teaching small group, one-to-one, that kind of thing. And I started off in phonographics, as you know. Mm-hmm. And because phonographics didn't offer a whole class alternative, uh, we started to work on, you know, developing a whole class program so that we could train teachers right from the start, because it's all very well putting these sticking plasters on all over the place. Actually, you need to get to the root of the problem. And I, I'm pretty sure you feel the same way or felt the same way. Yeah, the sticking plasters. I love that. I've never heard that term, but it, they aren't working very, you know, it takes so much time and energy and really the trauma that's experienced in the angst and anxiety that continues to, you know, build on people that have struggled is, is tremendous. And I actually was teaching classroom teachers in phonographics for those years that I was a trainer trying to, and it wasn't going very well. So yeah, th- we've got to get into the classrooms and have this start out from the beginning for everyone. Nothing bothers me more than people saying, oh yeah, I know a few students that this will work for. There's no one that this won't benefit, including, you know, I've taught doctors and lawyers and all kinds of stuff too. Everybody benefits from you know, learning because most people don't really understand how the code really works in in applying it to reading and writing. So we've got a big job. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. And I think that you've just put your finger on it because as far as I'm concerned, I say to people, listen, if a kid can hear, if a kid can hear, then they can learn this. And even for children who find speaking difficult difficult or have speech problems, if they can hear, they can learn how to do this. And uh, I think, uh, was it uh, Mark Seidenberg said that the starting point for reading is uh, the sounds in the language, is speech. Yeah, our so, speaking, And that's where sure. we start, isn't it? You know, an interesting yeah. point too, as far as if they can hear, and this wasn't with us, we've taught nearly deaf people, but we've had students in classrooms where we've trained teachers where completely deaf students have started to read. Isn't that interesting? Um, you know, and I also, even yeah. kids who don't speak, um, you know, can learn to read. So really the bar, there's no limit as to what is possible, which I think is what's really exciting about teaching the way that we do. It's very, very thrilling. And yeah. we just need to, you know, get it spreading like wildfire. That's my, you know, intention. Yeah. Get the message across. That's mm-hmm. right. But um, I think... You know, one of the things for me that's been so important is conceptual understanding. And I know that we teach the code. You have got, you teach the whole of the code. I know you teach all the common spellings. In fact, people were saying to me at the Plain Talk conference, Nora's program, Nora's Ebley program teaches all the stuff all the way through. So you've got a great curriculum 
for teaching the code, but I know you also teach the skills, and I know oh, yeah. you teach con- the, all those elements of conceptual understanding. That's the key. Those are the key. And for me, those are the key. If we don't have those, yes, what do we have? That's it. You know, that, and actually, we don't teach the whole code right. explicitly. We actually teach a, it's disconcerting yeah. to people who come to us from traditional phonics because we teach such a small amount of it. And but those kids moving to that um, self teaching is how quickly they do yeah. that when we teach these conceptual pieces about the code and how to manage it. It's just it, everything explodes and they just go flying so fast. That's what I think is so exciting. But mo- so many people want to focus on, well, you know, I just had an email today about, well, I want to teach this sound because they're struggling. I'm like, you don't need to explicitly teach er- everything in the English. It's not about that content. It's about the process and the concepts and the skills that we're teaching yeah. to manage this whole code because it applies to all of it. Even if you teach it, you know, this yeah. basic idea, it applies to all of it. And that to me is really thrilling. And, and I've learned over the years how much faster all kids, like I went into a preschool a school that has preschool, there's nine classrooms that the teachers were trained. And I'm like, I don't have as much experience in preschool, but this was several years ago. And so I thought, well, we're going to do this and try that. And I had an, in my mind an understanding of where they should have been to when I came into coach in the end of October. They were so far beha- beyond, further than what I would have thought. I'm The first classroom, I thought, well, this is wild that they're this far. I mean, that's interesting. And by mm. the second, the third, the fifth classroom, all they just kept getting better. They These kids were reading the words they were saying the sounds they were writing the words they were and and they were some of them were even doing four sound words and i'm like they keep showing me by accident everything i feel like i've done has been by accident but they keep showing what they're capable of and it's so much more even with my high expectations so much more than we even thought they were capable of which i think is just thrilling yeah that we had a similar experience actually because we started this off um uh, as I said before, you know, we were teaching small group one-to-one. And what happened in the school that I was working in is that um, the kids with whom we'd worked were actually answering maths questions in a maths test better than all the rest of the class. And the head teacher immediately said, hey, listen, <laughs> we need to have everybody have this. And that's really where we started. And interestingly enough, we used something called the... Dennis Young's parallel spelling test. We've always used that. And we thought that... I love spelling for assessing reading. I mean, why wouldn't we, right? Yeah, right. Spelling's so much harder than reading. And it tells you so much about the kids. I love... I I listened to your podcast, of course, about the your research on all of that... um, that you, with, what was it, 1,607 kids or something like that, exactly, a lot of kids. Exactly, exactly. Nice. <laughs> was that the right number? See, look at me, yeah. I can't remember my name sometimes, but I remember that. But because it's just like, people love to say, oh, this linguistic phonics, structure linguistic literacy, there's no research. And I'm like, what? We have all, ca-. now, but then it's like, well, we don't like the way you did your research. We don't like that there's not a comparison. We don't like the test you used. We don't like the, and it's like, here's the deal. Do we like, this is what we all want to like, is that our all of our kids are highly, literate right Mm -hmm. isn't that what we like in all of these little side kind of niggling conversations take our time and energy away from that but how can you not look at 1607 kids over time and what happened with their spelling because what does everybody say oh i'm a pretty good reader but i'm a horrible speller well you're not that great of a reader then right right? if you're if you're not spelling accurately you're not so you guys that gave me a really big um aha 
about looking at the spelling, then you made it simple. I'm talking to a researcher this week, actually, about doing some Ebley research. And I think in, in with research, that's the problem. It's so complex and so expensive and so hard to pull apart and tease apart and do comparison. I always feel bad for the control group, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. how, what do you think is the solution for all of that? I, well, I think it's very difficult. We've offered several times to match schools, for instance. So we, in one school that we did, where, uh, where we were teaching Sounds Right, uh, they, they were a two-form entry. And so we started by having one form do Sounds Right and the other form doing business as usual, which I think was actually letters and sounds. I don't mind saying it, the old letters and sounds. And by half term... The kids in the Sounds Right group were so much further ahead that the head said, listen, we can't do this anymore. It's unethical. Know. You know, we need to have everybody do it. And, and yeah. I remember we did try to get a match with uh, some schools for um, similar SES, socioeconomic circumstance, mm -hmm. were similar. And the other schools would have nothing to do with it. The Sounds Right schools were happy, but the other schools, no, they didn't want to play. And obviously they didn't want to play because I guess they didn't want to uh, to be shown up, you know, for what they weren't doing very well. Yeah. But as you say, you know, spelling is absolutely fantastic because it's so transparent. You can, it gives you a much clearer yes. insight. And you can look at it, it's yeah. right there. You get a much clearer insight yeah. of what they know yeah. and what they don't know. Which is so huge. There's two things that I wanted to touch on that you said. One was about the math and the kids improving even their computation somehow approve, improves with this type of instruction but of course obviously reading the story problems but what i think is so important for people to understand that how we are teaching you and i with our systems it's not like just to get these lessons done and then we're done with the lessons it's skills and concepts and, mm. informa and information that transfer across the curriculum across whether you're reading a restaurant menu or a birthday card or your science textbook you know that transference is so fast and thorough um, and that's you know when, when I ask Ebley teachers you know when do you teach Ebley the ones who have you know unless they're very beginning starting and they're at that sensory motor level but what they say is like all day long whenever there's reading writing and spelling this is how you do it it's just like a process of what you do and I think I know with sounds yeah. right it's the same thing and, yeah, yeah. and I think that that's huge because what else does that yeah and and I tell you what makes me laugh you know because of uh, our conceptual framework the conceptual framework we teach in you don't need silent letters there's no hard c or soft c there are no letter names at the beginning there's no linking all this stuff to characters like any apple or whatever there's you know there's there are no long and short vowels yeah. i i i you know, when people start saying to me, is that a long A or a short A? And I go, what What are you talking about? It's A or it's A. What the, what the hell is this? Right. Well, and then the other thing, this is something that I'll say in training with teachers. I'm like, okay, we have the A, like an A, your short A, per se. If people know that language. Or A, like in gate, the long mm -hmm. A. But then what are you going to do with the A and was? Yeah. Okay, what about the, that's A. Uh, and father, it's A. Uh, and water, it's A. Uh, you know, in luggage, it's it. Do we call those midget and giant or how are we going to explain those And this? You know, like you say, hard and soft. See, I don't even know what the heck that means. All of these things that come from the letter leading, I don't even know them. So, of course, I can't teach them. But when we put that into kids' brains, they try to use it to do something. And it, it so overloads their cognition and it so slows down everything because they're kind of it's like glued up in there. And 
And it's just so easy when we go from the words we speak. We're just talking about the words you speak. Let's tease them apart. Let's match these symbols that could be flowers or they could be birds. We could have put birds to match the symbol, you know, yeah. any kind of sh shapes, whatever. You know, these are just symbols representing the sounds yeah. that are parts of the words that we speak. And it's truly, and so you're taking your speech and putting it down, which is why the whole alphabetic system was created. And then when you read, you take that and bring it back up, you know, yeah. for decoding. It's just, it's almost too simple. Yeah. Really, it's almost too simple for in in a process in a where people have been so thinking it's so complex yeah. to do that. Yeah, yeah. Go on, Lara. I was gonna jump in and say we've been now going for fifteen minutes and we haven't really gone into the the topic <laughs> of the podcast yet, Oops. which is Santa Print. So I was <laughs> I was about to say that's a brilliant time to uh, to to go into the first question that I have for both of you on the topic of this podcast, which is speech to print, sound to print, whichever yeah. one you want to call it. So would one of you or both of you, um, for listeners who might not be completely familiar with the term, would you talk a bit about what exactly it means to go from speech to print in a phonics programme? Sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that we both start from the same premise, actually, that what do children learn naturally? What is it that you don't have to teach them? What's biologically primary? All kids everywhere in the whole world learn to speak and they learn to listen. You don't have to go to school to learn to speak. In fact, the very idea is absurd. What you do have to do, though, is you have to go to school to learn your writing system. And uh, I know a, cu a couple of researchers who say that uh, no child learns their own script by themselves. All children need to be inducted into how their writing script or their writing system works. And that's exactly what we do. Do you want to take it from there, Nora? Yeah. So. Um, you know, I always say that um, when somebody has written to you, whether they wrote a book 300 years ago or whether they wrote an email to you today from the Philippines, wherever they are, um, they are, their speech is down now in print. That's what, that's what print is. It's talk, our, what we say written down. And so what we do with Ebly and with Sounds Right is we take advantage of that. Kids, almost all kids come to school being able to talk. So we use what they already know, which gives us a head start on everybody else. We're just instead of, so that's natural. Okay, cognitive in, in, in that cognitive load theory, it, like John says, it's primary, biologically primary. It's what they already know. What is biologically secondary or things that have to be taught is the code that we've used to match these sounds in your words to print. And so when we go with what they already know, and then we match the sounds to print, and we teach them the concepts yep. that are unique to English, because we've borrowed from so many other different languages to get our spellings, then kids, especially when I'm teaching high schoolers or adults or whatever, they're like, wait a minute, this makes so much sense. Why didn't anybody ever teach me this before? But so few right. people know it, including teachers and doctors and lawyers and anyone. I mean, I didn't know it. And I was a really very good reader and writer um, before I learned this. But learning this takes it to a whole different level. And for me, yeah. you know, that is the key to take what you already have. We're leading with what you have as your speech, where traditional phonics is leading with something that's man-made, all right, which are letters, and then trying to shove our speech into it, which isn't working very well, because then you have to use things like silent letters when 
No letter has ever spoken that I've known, right? They're all silent. They're just <laughs> symbols that represent sounds. So we don't have to, and then literal, kids who are very literal at that age nine and below, you know, in that proposition logic, if this, then that, and they're like, what's going on here? They don't understand that, like, wait, this says that? I'm not hearing it say that, but they're the adult and they're saying it says this, <laughs> right? So we don't want to confuse kids and we don't have to when we start with what they already have, which is their speech. And I think it's so liberating, you know, for all learners um, to be yeah. able to understand yeah, yeah, that they have that and they take their mouth with them everywhere, right? We take our mouth and our ears yeah. with us everywhere. So. No, that's right. I, th I, I bet you find that it's actually, I, I, when I teach, when I uh, do some, you know, special needs teaching and I'm doing an intervention, I have a child, uh, you know, sit in my reading center with me. I always have the parent in as well. And so I teach the parent how it works. The parent just sits a little bit behind, so they they're not uh, they're not tempted to intervene and say, "Hey, listen, I told you that before." Like driver's you know, ed, kind of yeah. They, they just can't but, help themselves sometimes, yeah. But but parents say, "God, this is really straightforward. This is really simple," and that's because they haven't had their heads me messed up with all this stuff that teachers get out of teachers' college, yeah. which is. Usually incredibly, you know, uh, confusing, I think, really. So we, we have, the, uh, yeah. I, I did, you know, one of our concepts is that many spellings represent more than one sound. And I saw on this, um, on this website at one point that this uh, professor just couldn't get their heads around this idea at all. So, for instance, you know, E-A can represent the sound E, E, or A. And this person really, how can you possibly teach this stuff? And sometimes what I do is I draw a circle on the board and I say, what can this be? And people say, it's a circle. Yeah, but what else can it be? Oh, it can be a ball. Ah, it can be an orange. It can be this. It can be that. Actually, to tell you the truth, four-year-old kids are much better than adults at doing this and come out with more yeah. things. If that's the case, then E-A can be E, it can be E, and it can be A, as long as you've taught those things as well, of course. Yeah, and I think that that's, you know, that piece but for vowels like the letter S can be S, right? Or Z and is, or sh and sure, or whatever. And so, and kids are just like, well, that makes... A flower is a flower, even though they all look different, or a house or a dog or whatever. We can categorize them exactly. for sure. But there's, I, I'm curious, and I kind of want to ask a question on one of these concepts where the same sound that we say, let's say it's E or S, let's say S, there's a whole bunch mm -hmm. of ways to spell mm -hmm. all of our sounds. So we usually teach, depends on the age, four to seven ways to spell, let's say S. So people really, especially tr if they're familiar with traditional phonics, are like, you can't do that. You have to teach one one week and then one the next week and then one the next week. How do you answer that, John? That's I was um, wanting to know that from you. Well, one of the things, one of the ways we answer it is that we say, look, if you, uh, it's very common in the UK to teach, say, AI as a spelling of A. And then the, sometimes some people teach AY as well, but a lot of people don't teach another spelling alternative for quite a few weeks. So in, in the mind of the kid, they don't make the association. These are two ways of spelling the sound A. And one of the problems is that every time they write a word with the sound A in it, if they're using the AI spelling, then that starts to become uh, solidified in their mind. And it's hard to break them then away from incorrect yeah. spelling. So much better to show them some common ways of spelling a sound and of course, spending some time on it. But 
Once they've got the concept that there's more than one way of spelling a sound, that changes their whole mindset, doesn't it? Because they're asking qualitatively different questions of you. They're saying to you, Miss, how do you spell the O in stone? Or how how do you spell the S in psychotherapy? (laughs) Yeah. It's two letters. It's tsunami but it's one was a good sound. one too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. And it's okay. But when they understand that, and then you don't have to teach all of the ways to spell or all of the spellings for all of the sounds when they understand that concept. And another thing I like about how I know you do this too, and we learned this from phonographics really is, you know, S can be an SS like in miss and C like in city and CE like in nice and SE like in house and all that. So we show them all of those, but then we can say, look at this pattern. Where do you see this one? Oh, it's at the end. Oh, this one has an E, I, or Y after it. Interesting. This one's usually at the end. So they they get that as far as the patterning, yeah. right? Because what yeah. do humans do best? They suck up patterns from birth, yeah. really. And yeah. so then they just they have that kind of embedded, and they apply it to other things without explicit instruction. It's 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 absolutely fascinating to watch and to see how even you know we don't start with five things of course with kindergarten and preschool we start with w can be what and wh can be what like in wet and when right so we start small and then add on to it and they have no issue whatsoever but the adults often have a harder time and i think that what you said something really important is that we've learned as adults a lot of other things that aren't that so then it's it's kind of like kids who guess words or look up at you or look at the picture or they have those habits. You have to undo that habit of where what you've been thinking or doing and then replace it with a new one. And the teaching them how to read is easy compared to removing all those habits that have been ineffective. Absolutely right. I, I completely agree. And, and actually, I've got a question for you because we, we touched on this when we were at Plain Talk. Uh, we've been teaching the split spelling. Now in the UK, when we started teaching Sounds Right, we thought, you know, everybody taught the split spelling. If we don't teach that, people are, this is so wacky that, you know, this is turning the world upside down to such an extent. If we drop that, then nobody will listen to us. So we uh, we kept it. And one thing I like it for is I like it for kids who find learning more difficult the cutting the square, you know, for uh, the word, you know, came or home or something like that yeah. is something that they don't forget. But something that I like very much about what you do, it's something that we've started to adopt in the first year one of teaching uh, is this idea of consonant plus E instead of teaching a split spelling. Do you, do you want to say a, a few words about that? Because I think it's a great way of doing it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say that, you know, I was such a clean slate. Really, I knew that traditional phonics didn't work for my daughter. She had been taught a Becca when we lived in Guam. I knew that the whole language didn't work for her because that's what she was taught back when we moved back to Michigan. She couldn't read. She could memorize really well, and she uh, looked like a good reader, and she could do well on a spelling test, but she couldn't spell her, her words. So, So I was a clean slate, really, because I knew those things didn't work. I wasn't really trying to dig deeper into that. I was looking for something else. And this professor from Michigan State led me to Diane McGinnis's book. So I have always gone from what makes sense to me. You know what doesn't make sense to me? Rules. I don't get them. I don't know most of them. Syllable types, don't know those either. Um, Schwa, I'm like, I don't get it. There's nine sounds that go with the letter A. And you're going to tell me we can do long and short and the other seven have to be called a schwa. How do I teach that? <laughs> I don't understand. And I know that if I don't understand, 
How can a five-year-old or seven-year-old or a struggling 20-year-old understand? So for me, I didn't understand. Why are we splitting that that vowel? It's it's almost like, you know, with the E at the end, why are we doing that when we le read left to right and we do it sequentially? That doesn't make sense. We have all kinds of words with consonant E at the end, like house or peace or little. Yes. Or, there's all kinds of right. them, right? Absolutely. Or, you know, even have and dove and those kinds of words that are not uh, like... Have the, and give in the initial code. Yeah, all those... They, they don't work. So to me, if we're going to go left to right and we're going to match our spellings to our sounds and we're doing this consonant E at the end with every other word, but we're going to make an exception. This was a thing that I had with phonographics too. We're doing these things, but for our suffixes, we're going to leave those together. Well, why? That doesn't make sense to me. Right. If we're going to teach something, why? And I'm kind of a little bit of a purist too. Why would we not teach it <laughs> consistently? Why are we going to confuse kids with saying, okay, say every single sound, now don't. When do you know when you do and when you don't, right? So for me, right. it didn't make sense. So that's why, and really interestingly, I don't think I've ever been asked that question. No teacher has had a problem with it. Nobody has ever had an issue. I think that a lot of people who have taught traditional phonics are so attached to that that they may still teach it with their kids for their comfort, yeah. really. Um, but for yeah. me, it makes much more sense to do it in order sequentially, and that consonant E, we do it all over the place. You know, why aren't we splitting it and taking it off in words like house or peace or little, right? Yeah. So that's why I did it. And I'm not, you know, the only thing, the things that I have gotten the most pushback about with, with Ebley, um, and, and more recently, since more people who teach traditional phonics are moving over to Ebley, is that A, especially at the beginning, you can't say that this happens that quickly. That is a huge trigger. You can't say that you can teach in just a matter of hours um, that are not many instead of years. And the other one is, um, and this is very consistent, you can't teach all those ways to spell that sound. You And I'm like, I've been told so many times what I can't do, and I've been doing it thousands or tens of thousands of times over the last 25 years. I'm like, but you can. I mean, I understand that yeah. you haven't. I get that. But just because I haven't done something doesn't mean you can't, it can't be done, right? Or you haven't done something sure. doesn't mean that it can't be done. So I think that for me, the question always is, what makes the most sense to the learner? And to me, doing that consonant E thing, and also yeah. you're going to map words. I mean, how do you do that? I don't even know how you do that. Um, when you're, how do you do that when you're mapping to words? Well, it certainly doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense in words like done and right. come. And how do kids make sense of that? And have and give and love and all kinds of words. <laughs> yeah. And so why, exactly. how are we? And that's what we'll say to them. You know what? When you see this constant E at the end and there's a single vowel before, right? Try the letter name first. We don't say it's always the letter name because that's a lie, right? So try the letter name yeah. first because it's more, you know, that's going to happen more often. But it also, the O, and then I'll say for the O, try a. Uh. If it's not O, try a, uh, because that's usually what it's going to be. If it's not I, try it, because those are the ones that happen the most. So we're giving them things. I'm all about obsessively, obsessively about application. I don't really want to talk all up here about the research and this is this and have a debate and all that stuff about that's not teaching teachers and not teaching kids. I want to know how do I make teachers' lives easier by applying this so kids can understand to make kids' lives easier. And so, yeah. and just like with Sounds Right, it's a system. So it's not like the static thing that you can never change. And that was another thing. Diane was not, or Carmen McGinnis, was not interested in changing anything. Phonographics was, that's what they had and that was it. And that's how it's going to be. Instead of like things evolve and we learn more. And so yeah. Yeah. with your system and with mine, we have that flexibility to be able to continue to grow and refine because it's not this static thing. 
That's right. Well, when when Diane came over to the UK for a while, uh, she was, I think, she te- she'd gone beyond photographics and she was interested in speculating, you know, how things could be made more flexible and so on. The only problem was, of course, that for her, she was too old to teach and uh, to get into yeah. school and try it all out. So she didn't have anybody that uh, she could work with on that. Yeah. And if, in fact, if there's anything that we're, that I would disagree with Diane about is just... Uh, you know, a, a few of these things. For instance, she said that you should teach 40, 40 plus sounds, you know, and their spellings. Well, we teach an initial code to start off right. with, yeah. and then we teach different ways of spelling the sounds systematically right. as we go along. And that isn't doing what she did. But right. I think that she hadn't seen a model where that could work. Right. And if she'd seen us, if she'd yeah. seen what we did do, you know, uh, she would have seen that that's quite possible. In fact, you know, when I told her about it, she she was she was very interested, and uh, you know, she seemed to uh, approve. She was a very, I mean, Diane McGinnis was a pioneer, unlike anything I've ever known. <sighs> and you know, her book saved yeah. my child's life. I think, and I, you know, I would say, um, and still, of all the books I've read since, why our children can't read, and what we can do about it is remains my favorite um, because it was the first thing that ever made yeah. sense and it actually helped my child, you know, me help my child. Um, but I will say from her, you know, all of her theory and she used to, I never met her in person. I know you did. And I'm jealous about that now that she's gone, rest her sweet soul. Yeah, but yeah. hopefully she's looking down and saying, you guys go, come on. I started this snowball <laughs> down there and you guys get moving it, you know, but she, um, she was so brilliant and ahead of her time and all of that. She was a little brace, if I know, and I like kind of like that about her, actually, because she was not going to mince words. Um, and I talked yeah, to her a lot. she didn't suffer fools gladly. No, she sure. was not interested. And you can see in her wor- her book turns off educators, I know, sometimes with, with that, because you can see that coming through. But it is frustrating when you're doing this work and a lot, a lot of people are ignoring it, you know. And I get that she's frustrated, was frustrated with that. But she would say to me, because we would email and talk, and I, I never, as I said, met her in person, but she's like, how are you in any schools, much less a lot of schools? Yeah. I don't get it. I have tried to all over the United States to try to get into schools, and I'd get close, but then I could never do that. But I think that that she did not have, like you say, that practical application. So her theory was yeah. so sound. But then when you got to her book with the allographs and all that, I'm like, this makes no yeah. sense to me. Yeah, yeah. That's so right. I just kind of ignored that. Absolutely. Me too. Reading reflex too. made sense, yeah. right? So I was just like, and I've read it since and I still don't get it. Yeah. So again, if I don't get it, I'm pretty sure that a six-year-old or a seven-year-old isn't going to get sure. it. So yeah. No, I completely agree. But she uh, was brilliant. Sorry, Lara. You two are doing my job for me. I don't have to ask any questions. (laughs) Um, I would really like to bring it back a little bit to the speech to print topic. And I'm really curious to know, there are very few phonics programs that take that orientation from speech to print. So I wanted to get your opinion on why you think that is. Why aren't more people doing this? Hmm, that's a good question. I, I think it's pedagogy, personally. I, I think it's all in the pedagogy. And one of the things that uh, I've certainly um, not tried to hide is the fact that I think Elkanin, in uh, this guy, Daniel, Daniel Borisovich Elkanin, um, invented word building. As far as I know, might have been invented before that, but certainly he was the person that uh, I read about. 
he invented this idea of word building. So word building, I think, is absolutely brilliant because, first of all, it links sounds to print. We're going to build the word mat, mat. What's the first sound you hear when my finger's under this line when I say mat? And any of these kids in the class can tell you that the first sound where you're pointing is mmm. And everybody says mmm. Who can show me which of these is mmm? So even for kids who've never seen this before, they're accommodating to the idea that words are made up of sounds and those sounds can be spelt with these spellings. Now, I don't know, and, and Nora might want to say something about this, I don't know how long it takes for them to understand this clearly, conceptually. I think it probably takes a while and I think they need to have a lot of, they're working with material, so you'll teach them sat and sit and not and cat and all that sort of thing. And, um, but I think that the, the beauty of this Elkanen approach is you're linking sound to print, you're teaching them to segment at the same time, and then you're also teaching them to blend too. So all of these things are happening in this same word building lesson. And for that reason, I, I think that it's absolute, it, it's, it's a genius. And it shows kids that what the sounds that you say in common or garden words that all these kids know can be broken into their constituent sounds and these are the spellings for them. And as soon as they get that, they can write anything, can't they, Nora, once you've taught them a bit? They really can, and they, they can move quickly. Why, why is it that this is so um, rare? That, you know, that's such a good question, Laura. Um, and I think that <clears throat> traditional phonics and having the letters lead as far be the focus and the lead of instruction is so, such a habit. It's been around for decades, centuries, probably, I would say, with teaching that way. And it's, you know, I think that sometimes with some of the things with the letters leading and some of the things that we talk about, like the rules and all of those things, um, there, it's just been such a habit. You know, I think of this story where this woman would cut the ends off of her hand before she'd cook them. And um, her husband said, why do you do that? And she said, because my mom always did. So he asked the mom, why do you do that? And she's like, well, because my mom always did. So he asked the grandma, why did you cut the ends off the ham? And she said, well, when we were married, we didn't have many pans. And so the pan wasn't long enough to fit the ham. So I'd cut the ends off. So everybody was doing it because she had done it not knowing the reason for doing it, right? right? So I think that that is a lot of it. And so then it's become an industry for sure, because this is if we're talking about the phonics part with the print leading the instruction, that's what has been happening way back from Noah Webster and before. That's been going on. And everybody's familiar with it. And everybody's used to it. And let's teach our kids the letter names. And let's teach our kids, you know, when they're at birth. I have five grandchildren under the age of three. The three-year-old is actually doing word building and handwriting and beautiful job. He's not three yet, but he's two. But he'll be three in a couple months. But anyway, they, he, they can do that very easily. But I've been speaking to them. I have four-month-old twin grandsons. And, and all of them since birth, I talk to them. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you are so you yes. yeah. cute so they can hear that segmenting and, and have so it's no they talk in sounds they can blend sounds together not not the four months old but yeah. my almost three-year-old yeah. can so i think that it's a mindset and the mindset is so deeply ingrained that it's it's almost insulting 
to suggest that we have a different mindset. But I said this the other day, and I don't know, somebody that I was talking to or a group I was talking to, and I said, you know, if we want to look at the Wright brothers, we all should be thankful for you, Laura, flying to the Philippines, me flying, us going to flying to New Orleans, right, John? Whatever. We should be thankful to them. Do we want to fly to New Orleans and the Philippines on a Wright Brothers plane? No. No, it has evolved since <laughs> yeah. then. We want to fly on the planes that are going to get us there faster and probably less likely to crash. Are we thankful for what happened 100 years ago as far as the alphabetic you know, system and that print first leading instruction? Absolutely. They were pioneers. But but things have evolved and we know differently. Yeah. And so I think that change is hard. I think another thing is, is that most everybody who teaches this way, like John said, almost all have done it in small group or especially one-on-one -on -one, and thinking it's for remediation. Yeah. Teachers will say to me all the time, oh, I know of some kids that I believe will work for and I'm like, please don't say that. My daughter who was in gifted and talented would have been falling through the cracks. This works for every single child. And yeah, that's right. Frankly. Absolutely. So, yeah. so the, Almost everyone, and I've talked to many, we, we're doing this group, and John, you would, if I could nail you down, you would be great to join this group. It's called uh, Those of Us Who Speech First you know, Instruction, Marnie Ginsburg, um, Stephen Truch from Canada, um, mm. there's Donna from the mm. Science Reading page. Many of us, um, Nikki, who does the Linguistic Phonics page, um, have come together. How do we move this forward, and how do we do this? And almost all of them... Um, and especially even smaller ones, they don't want to deal with the education system. It's prickly and, yeah. you know, huge. It's a huge industry yeah. that, um, it's you know, tough. we've all stayed, including me, I've stayed in my cave. I have never until recently, and even now not very well, advertised Ebley. If you want Ebley, come on to me and we'll sell it to you. We do not have a salesperson. We never have. We do not go out and say, try to cold call anybody or anything if you hear about us and you want us for your school or yeah. whatever then get a hold of us and we'll talk to you right. because there's so much divisiveness about it and so much um I, I think feeling fear and feeling threatened i'm not sure but i'm not a person who really likes i'm kind of like a i don't know if it's a people ple i like peace I'm a good, peaceful person. I am not an arguer. I'm not a debater. I'm not really interested in that. And I don't want people to suck my energy to have a debate about something where I have for 25 years and tens of thousands of kids and thousands of teachers known and shown what is possible. Bring me more teachers and kids and that's where I'll put my energy. I'm not going to debate it. And there's so much debate around that because I think it's fear. It's fear yeah. of change. Yeah. We all want change, but really don't want to change, right? Yeah. You know, it's all good to talk about change, but to actually change is um, hard. And if we're looking at even like the science of reading movement, that's all around traditional phonics yeah. from the college level and all the change and all, even the legislative stuff in the United States. I don't know about England, but all of that is about focused on this. If you're going to write and be on our list to be taught in the classrooms in the schools, then you have to go along. The, I have I have looked at, you know, applications to be on certain state lists and said, I'm not going to do that because it says you have to teach the syllable types or rules or and do a quiz on that. I don't teach them. I don't even know them. I can't teach them. So taking all that time to fill out this great big huge list or yeah. application to be on your list, it's going to get refused, right? So there's not enough awareness, I think. I think that it's shifting, though. And John, I, I would like to know your thoughts on that, too. I think that the mindset is shifting because we are getting into more and more schools. And when you have the kind of results that they're experiencing, I quit even looking at data. 
back in 2003, four or five, I think it was somewhere back in there, our teachers that I was training were saying, where's your data? Where's your data? Where's your data? So this wonderful man, independently of us, went to a whole bunch of schools that were teaching Ebley, got, who were using like the word ID word attack from a form of the Woodcock, got their pre and post data. Uh, Matt Burns um, out of Missouri, he um, analyzed it all. And we have these beautiful charts, effect sizes close to three, lovely. I'd start to show it at training. They're like, we don't really care about data. We don't want it. So we haven't focused on getting data because you know, if you look at, and I think we talked about this, John, uh, too, that 10-year study with direct instruction where their scores were so much higher than anything else, and the study never even got reported from the federal government. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Now, but, you it, know, I didn't come up through the education system. A lot doesn't make sense to me. It nearly broke my heart because at the time, uh, when we finished doing this uh, study, you know, by 2009, uh, I was still working for the Open University teaching this sociolinguistics, and I presented it to my colleagues and peers and the people who were interested in it were the engineers, the mathematicians, the physicists, the people who weren't interested and whose eyes were rolling were the people, the literacy people. And they just didn't care. And yet this sort of thing was really powerful stuff, you know, to get the kind of data that we'd got, that over 90% of kids are spelling either at or above their 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 chronological age, which nobody had ever seen. Which means readings even higher. (laughs) Which means readings even higher. Absolutely, that's right. But I think it's very difficult uh, to... um, uh, We we never advertised at the beginning. There was absolutely no point in in advertising or calling like you. What we've done is we've gone into schools and we've spread it by word of mouth. That's been the only Mm -hmm, way, really. And people have got the, the sorts of results that we'd always said. But even then, you know, um, and you must uh, find this as well, you do get people who've used traditional phonics, as we call it, and you train them in, uh, you know, a sound-to-print approach. They can't help bringing in something that runs a counter to what you've shown them. And Jean Jean Chawl, you call her Jean Chawl, don't you? The Reading Revolution Mm -hmm. woman. Uh, I mean, she was absolutely wonderful, but she once said that if you train a bunch of people, 25% of them will do it because they think it's absolutely fantastic and they'll do it um, with great fidelity. 50% will do it and be able to bring in stuff that runs counter to it and maybe 25% either won't get the chance to do it or they won't do it properly. And in a way, I've always found that an iron law of training in a way. And I don't know what on earth you do to shift that. I haven't figured that out either. Um, and, and what I say to people, please just do it in, with fidelity. I don't mean do it perfectly. You can make a lot of mistakes with teaching Ebley and make, and I still make mistakes all the time. You can still make a lot of errors and it's tremendously forgiving. What it's not forgiving of, we're going to do Ebley. Here's our recipe. We're going to make a cake. Now we're going to throw in some hot sauce and some shrimp and some you can't do that and expect to have an outcome. You confuse the kids too. I mean, it's so, and it's and, and it's so much more work for the teachers. And I see this with balanced literacy teachers. You know, they want to throw in the, yeah. you know, look at the picture and you got to yeah. read fluently and you get, you know, we can't mess with this learning to read thing. You know, they'll teach Ebley in the morning and then they'll teach, you know, the workshop stuff in the afternoon where there's spelling wrong and trying to read on their own and teach themselves to read yeah. because it's hard to undo but also with the traditional phonics we're going to do this then we're also going to throw in some rules and some letter first stuff and all these things and the kids are like what is going on right um you know it's interesting yeah. at my center yeah. here most of the people have been here for 
anywhere from over 20 years, probably 15 to over 20 years, almost everybody, um, <clears throat> definitely over 10, and none of them have a background in education. All right. Okay. And that is, so we have no undoing to, all they know to teach is ugly because they've never taught anything yeah. else. So I really, until recently, probably in the last year even, didn't understand how beneficial that was as we're trying so hard because people start in Ebley and you can't see the whole picture of this puzzle when we're doing our speech first stuff and how it all ties together with reading, writing, and spelling and application until you get a little bit into it, yep. right? And so they don't trust, they don't trust, they don't trust, and they're throwing in, they're throwing in, they're throwing in, and they're not getting, and they're still getting, you know, more gains than they did before, but it's certainly not to the degree that it could. And we do find, especially more now that we're online, that they will shift in time most, not all, you're right, um, just because the mantra in education, and again, I didn't come up through the education system, but it is the more tools in your tool belt, the better, right? So we need to have 25 screwdrivers and 15 hammers and all these different, you know, we need to have all kind, not only all these different tools, but a bunch of all these different tools. And so I was in one school once, they had nine different reading initiatives and they all contradicted each other. How does a teacher yeah. do such a thing? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, you find that all the time, don't you? And so a kid goes from one class to another and there's a different vocabulary yeah. for what they're doing every time. How confusing is that? It's completely crazy. You know, the thing that amuses me about traditional phonics is the teachers going, okay, everybody, today, everybody say this sound, mm. And the kids all go, mm. And half the class, because they're lovely, <laughs> I, always, I always joke about this and say, because they love you, you're their teacher. <laughs> <laughs> but the other half go, yeah, so what? What do I care? Mm, doesn't mean, uh, I don't care yeah. that it's, mm, it doesn't yeah. mean anything. It's not meaningful or relevant. Yeah, unless it's put into the context of a word. What I see more um, is like, M, mm, man, or whatever, you know, like, so the lettering, the sound, and then the word, and I understand that, my, but then we're like, you're going to tell me, so John, and then your middle name and then whatever person but am i supposed to remember john or am i supposed to remember alan or whatever i don't know your middle name but how what is the important information here right because it's <laughs> yes. an, it's not meaningful or relevant and it's in isolation so i'm always thinking from the mindset of a child because quite frankly my naivety or however you say that word is significant because i don't i don't have background in mm. how this is supposed to be and so sometimes we our bar can be so high because I didn't realize that you weren't supposed to get there. To me, 12 hours of instruction, that professor at Michigan State who told me about Diane McInnes, she said it shouldn't really take more than 12 hours. Diane McInnes, it shouldn't take more than 12 hours. So that's all I knew. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, we talked about this, didn't we, before? We, we talked about this in uh, plain talk. Well, I think you can, uh, I've seen it time and time and time again that you can uh, do a fantastic in intervention for kids w with their reading in around 12 hours, maybe a bit more with some kids and with kids who've got more serious problems than certainly 18, 24 hours, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the average of 12, yeah. Yeah, the average. But yeah. actually, spelling, I think, takes longer. And, oh, yeah, spelling uh, for sure. Yeah. Spelling is always going to take longer for everybody yeah. because it's a much more complex test. But if you've given exactly. them the skills, the concepts, the information in that foundation, it's going to continue to spiral up. But it does take long because you've got to read more and you've got to see, you know, 
it all of us still misspell some words. I just misspelled a word in a fourth grade classroom we're videotaping in. I went through the whole process doing multi-syllable spelling with characteristic <laughs> and they all spelled it and I had a spelling wrong. And the teacher in the back tells me at the end after 15 minutes of doing it, and I'm like, oh my gosh. So then I had to reteach the right thing and they did spell it all right. But um, but I still spell words yeah. wrong once in a while. I saw, I saw that as well in one of our classrooms. We were film, filming something once and this teacher was teaching Philippines <laughs> And actually, she spelt it with double L and one P. Whereas I think, Lara, you'll uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's one L and two P's. Isn't it? <laughs> Indeed, it is, yeah. <laughs> And it's just, you know, but the thing of it is, is nobody's going to be a perfect speller is my point for that, right? Nobody is going to be a perfect speller. But spelling is so much more challenging. People like, what about their spelling? My daughter, it took me, I'm not even going to say how many hours it took me to teach her to read. And the first thing she read was a chapter book when she'd never read a book on her own in her life, besides ones she'd memorized. Um, It took two years for her spelling. For her to quit spelling was W-U-Z or W-A-Z. It took two years, maybe W-U, I don't know what it was, but it was yeah. wrong for two years. But every time I would fix it, she would go back in school and she'd still be allowed to misspell. So that's the other problem is the spelling right. is a, not only allowed, but I've actually been in classrooms where it's taught wrong, you know, so that you can do that inventive spelling. Yeah. So there's a lot of, of problems against spelling. But of course, with you know, we're talking about the reading, but the spelling is a whole different animal and it's got to happen over time yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And if you've done it wrong for a lot of years... It's going to be a whole lot more to remediate. I mean, I don't necessarily want to get into this now because it's going to take us hours to do, but we both have (laughs) really good ways of correcting errors, don't we? You know? Oh, immediately, yes. Immediate feedback is absolutely brilliant because kids can learn from it. You know, uh, the the uh, incorrect spelling doesn't get time to fossilize or anything. No, it's, it's great. Yep. I like that fossilize, and it fossilizes really well. And un, get, you know, digging out that fossil to replace it with a new neuro very connection hard. is a lot of work. Yeah, a lot of and work. And that's why, again, you back to your uh, back to your metaphor of the ambulance again. Of course, your analogy of the yeah. of the uh, of that because once it gets fossilized, it's so much harder to get rid of, isn't it? Much better to do it right yeah. from the start. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think of my niece, who's now. I think 40 years old, but when she was in college, she went to Notre Dame Law School and graduated at top 10 of her school of about 300 kids. But um, she had written for my mom's birthday, 70th birthday, I think, written something in her page. She was 17 at the time, you know, a page. We were all doing this little book and she had like four misspellings in it. She would misspell. She's like, nobody cares about spelling. You know, she's a great reader, but her spelling is still. And she's like, that doesn't my it used to drive my mom crazy like my mom would pre-read some of her stuff that she'd written for english classes and stuff she's like bridget this is all misspelled and she's like oh nobody cares it doesn't matter so she had no motivation to really work to spell you know accurately and that's a lot of the problem too um that it's it's almost not even almost it's very much um embedded and fossilized too into teachers that oh don't fix their spelling because then that's going to you know, squelch the creativity, which we have not found to be true. Absolutely not. No, it's uh, just very low expectations, I think. And uh, yeah, it, not something we go along with. Yeah. Brilliant. I think that's time to wrap it up now since we're coming up to an hour long conversation. <laughs> I'm sure we could listen to this for 
forever <laughs> and uh we'll have to have you back on the podcast at some point Nora to to have more of a chat with John because this has Definitely. been just a pleasure to listen to so thank you both so much for this yeah, yeah. thank you very much I appreciate the opportunity it's great talking to you John yeah and uh, always wonderful to talk with you Nora and uh I, you know I, I learned so much after all these years it's great <laughs> <laughs> so always more to learn right you know what would be kind of fun if we could have people ask questions that they're wondering and we could do a podcast and answer those that'd be fun maybe we can do that i don't yeah. know but uh, lara if you could organize that absolutely we'll set that up yeah all right good it has been a true pleasure thank you so much thank you thanks